research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. My co-host, of course, Eric Eggers. Eric, how are you? I'm excellent, Peter, but continuing to evade financial transparency, like many other entities in the world, and the subject of today's podcast. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, and I have a question for you. How are... These are four things that are definitely in the news. Yep. But how are they connected? Hamas, mm-hmm. North Korea, fentanyl, and the U.S. debt. All things guaranteed to come up in my Thanksgiving dinner table discussion, I think. <laughs> fentanyl? You guys are going to discuss hey, fentanyl I with your, your kids? I said your private life, Peter. So <laughs> whatever it takes to get through the meal. Uh, I'm going to go to the Eggers house for Thanksgiving. This is going to be fun discussing those. Uh, actually, they're connected in a very, very important way that is ignored. And we're going to talk about it today for the reason uh, that it is largely ignored. And that is that these are all joined together by a crypto financial network that a lot of people should be paying attention to in Washington, D.C., but they're really not. And we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, there's two kind of high-level stories that, that relate to cryptocurrency in the news this week, but I think there's a connection. Uh, one is sort of like what can happen if a cryptocurrency is allowed to get its way, uh, and the other one is what might be happening because a cryptocurrency is another one's trying to get its way. Hamas, North Korea, Chinese fentanyl, and the U.S. debt have in common a cryptocurrency called Tether, which is a stable coin that's been popping up in more investigations tied to money laundering and finance. And the, unfortunately, the Hamas invasion into Israel. We talked a couple podcasts ago about the ways in which the United States says they stand with Israel, but in fact also helps to fund um, networks that are have been supporting Hamas. And one of the largest shareholders of the United States debt is this stablecoin tether which has been used to fund hamas so i mean it's it's kind of it's everywhere you it's like the opposite of those old visa commercials <laughs> tethers everywhere you don't want it to be <laughs> right and here's the thing i mean cryptocurrencies i think they're great um do I've, you i've i've invested in them a little bit and not done well but i understand <laughs> the attraction that it has for people they want something that's not connected to the u.s dollar they don't necessarily trust gold as an investment you know good or bad whatever they want something that's a little different and they want some privacy because the government is moving away from paper money to digital currency the fed's talking about introducing a digital dollar right exactly mm -hmm. and and the the question is is can you have privacy is a push towards these digital currencies so in general i like the idea of cryptos the problem is it creates all kinds of opportunity for financial crimes and nefarious transfer of funds. And as we know throughout history, whether it's World War II, whether it's more recently the war against Iraq, part of the way you fight a war is you have to fight a financial war. You have to prevent your enemies from being able to finance themselves. And what's happening, of course, in Israel is that Hamas gets money. Uh, it's easy to say we're not going to allow banks to trade with them, but crypto is a totally different thing. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, crypto is being used to fund many different entities, 
quickly as an aside, you talk about World War II and the financial aspect of war. What immediately comes to my mind is you used to have one of those penny collections. And so you have the copper pennies for each year. Yeah. But in World War II, they're not copper anymore because we had to stop using copper. That's in my mind because uh, the copper was used to do other things for World War II. So well, I think we had zinc pennies back in the day. Yeah, here, here's all I want to say. That's your reference for World War II. My family is from Switzerland. So our involvement very in understanding of World War II and finances, I'm hey, just saying. Mine's very, more all-American and universally accepted. As well. <laughs> no, but but absolutely. Blockchain uh, has been used to do, I mean, there's some legitimate things to it. Tether's been one of the 22 largest buyers of U.S. Treasury debt. It's got more than countries like Mexico and Spain. That's stunning, by the way, I, that a crypto exchange is buying up U.S. debt. I mean, not a huge amount. It's not like Mexico owns a lot, but still, they're increasingly buying those quantities. So it's like there's this bifurcation of what some of these crypto efforts are doing. There's a very legitimate piece of it, right? Buying U.S. debt, uh, hiring many former members of Congress and spending <laughs> lots of money to lobby, yep. which I think helps to make it easier for them to get away with the less legitimate yes, things, right? Yeah. And the less legitimate things are, um, you know, Israel has been seizing. So what happens when you get these cryptocurrencies, they keep them in these digital wallets. Right. And so, and those are actually fairly accessible to law enforcement and other entities. I actually talked to a secret service agent about how they monitor some of these things. And he even, for the, what it's worth, said he would still invest in crypto down the line. So even though it's got nefarious purposes, you know, there's still some utility there. Yeah. But uh, but Israel uh, seized 41 million uh, in this cryptocurrency between 2023. Excuse me. Hamas has received 41 million in cryptocurrency between 2023 uh, and more than 99 percent of that money came from Tether. So like that is the primary vehicle by which universally nefarious villains Hamas is funding its things. They've seized uh, crypto it's tethered specifically from North Korea's nuclear weapons program, and they've even sanctioned Russian cryptocurrency exchanges also using Tether. So it's in all the bad places in addition to some of the good places. Yeah, and you can move it around anonymously. So what, what's interesting about all these things, of course, is that they're, the international banking system is supposed to restrict the flow of funds to terrorist organizations like Hamas. So in other words, you know, you can't take your Wells Fargo account and say, I want to send this to Hamas's, you know, uh, bank account. You can't do that. So don't get any ideas out there. <laughs> it's illegal, but through a crypto exchange, you can certainly do that because they're not subject to certain banking laws and restrictions. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later as to why they're not subject to it and how that is being resisted and how regulators are preventing that from happening as well. Um, so you have the problem with Hamas, um, but then you have other situations uh, like uh, Iran or Russia that are under sanctions. So it's a little bit different in the fact that Hamas is a terrorist organization, Russia's under sanctions. But again, this is a way of getting around restrictions on uh, banks doing business with certain entities. You just run it through cryptocurrency. Because they're not going to like cash a check, like you said, Wells Fargo. So it, it leaves less of a paper trail. And so that's one of the things that you'll have to pursue. So that's why it's, you know, it's accepted. It's popular that way. And I think the key phrase you just used is um, it's not they're allowed to do it at times now because when people have flagged this, there's a big Wall Street Journal article about this. It's one of the reasons why it's on our radar. And so the Wall Street Journal reached out to Tether and said, hey, by the way, what do, what do you think about the fact that some of your stable coins is going to Hamas? What do you right. think about the fact that it's being utilized in sanctioned areas and in North Korea? Uh, and they wrote this long blog post, actually republished this long blog post. And it talked about how they cooperate with law enforcement. They've helped freeze $835 million in assets, uh, and they've frozen 32 addresses, including illicit activity in Israel and Ukraine. 
But this is, I think, the key phrase here. There's simply no evidence that Tether has violated sanction laws or the Bank Secrecy Act through inadequate customer due diligence or screening practices. <laughs> so it's like it's like if it's a currency, it's like, hey, don't play about it. We make we just make the money. We right. can't control right. if it how if it ends up in a suitcase and shipped overseas to this thing. Yeah. And 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 as you point out in that comment, what they're saying is, well, the way we comply with laws about, you know, sending money to terrorists, et cetera, is by screening the customer base as if customers have never lied. I mean, I, I, I think Tether does want to comply with these laws. There's no indication that they have any motivation to help criminals or to help drug networks or any other people that are using Tether. So I think they're sincere in that, but they clearly don't want the regulation that comes again with a Wells Fargo or the Morgan Stanley, where you are required to share financial records and to flag transactions um, that might uh, arouse suspicion. I mean, remember the Hunter Biden case, the suspicious activity reports. Those SARS are required to be filed if a bank says this is an unusual transaction to or from an unusual person. We need to flag it so Treasury can look at it. Crypto exchanges don't have to comply because those rules do not apply to them. I literally was trying to do an Instacart order earlier today. I had the wrong <laughs> credit card on file. I put the right credit card and I get flagged. It's like, oh, are you sure this looks like fraud? I'm like, no, I'm just an idiot. Like this is You should have used your Tether account. <laughs> this is a fraudulent <laughs> thing. Uh, but it, no, it's a it's a clear problem there. And so I think this is where the, the news about Tether happening now uh, at the same time as the Sam Bankman Freed and FTX trial, I think is really interesting timing because- Tether sort of is potentially headed down this path that FTX has trodden and I think to actually significant peril financially and otherwise. Because, I mean, to you, what's the big takeaway from FTX and Sam Bankman Freed and what parallels do you see as it relates to this cryptocurrency? Oh, that, that I mean, it's a great question. You bring it up. Um, you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, Clearly, Bankman Fried is on trial. Uh, I've been watching the trial a little bit. It's clearly, there's compelling evidence. And there's a difference between money being used for nefarious activities Correct. and the outright fraud that FTX was committing. Correct. Accused of committing, yeah. right? He hasn't been convicted yet. But yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, but what is striking is that clearly Sam Bankman Fried realized that he had developed this business. He wanted to not only avoid certain regulations, he wanted to steer regulators in Washington. So he got involved in the political process. He started, you know, sending campaign contributions. He had other people apparently send campaign contributions to political candidates that were running for president, that were running for the Senate and for the House. They were effectively going to regulate him. Um, and there were, you know, of course, claims that um, uh, that he was looking for other ways to curry favor in Washington, D.C. And that's, I think, really the question about Tether. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. With their lobbying activities and the lobbying activities in crypto in general, there's this sense that they want to get ahead of any kind of restriction or regulation. Now, look, we all get there are tiresome regulations and restrictions that, you know, we have to comply with that are ridiculous. But I got to say, banking secrecy laws and <laughs> banking disclosure requirements I don't consider meddlesome restrictions. We're dealing in a dangerous world and we don't want Hamas getting tens of millions of dollars through this uh, cryptocurrency uh, pathway. Uh, that's money they can't get any other way. I'm going to do you a favor. Okay. Because you just used the word meddlesome and that <laughs> makes you sound so old. And so <laughs> what I'm going to do, since I've already used the World War II penny analogy, I'm going to even do another kind of 
older analogy. Uh, you know, we had the, um, they used to have that cartoon, like how a bill becomes a law, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like how something shady becomes legal. Right. And it's the same process, the same process and the same playbook FTX followed to essentially work its way to the highest corridors of power and to be in a position where it can shape the regulation. It's almost like, remember that old, it, cause it's Halloween today. We're recording this on Halloween. And I remember the old Saturday Night Live skit about like these costumes and these toys and Dan Aykroyd plays the CEO of this really bad toy company. He's like, look, it's, it's bag of glass. <laughs> so it's a great. And so like imagine if like you, you make bag of glass and I'm not saying tether is the financial equivalent of bag of glass but it might be like there were some useful aspects of it it could be a fun toy but it could also hurt you and it could also go places that's hurting you but it's like if you wanted to make bag of glass legal you would do exactly the same thing as tether is doing as fdx is doing you would spend money to lobby say hey we want to tell you about this great product we have right you would spend money to hire people that used to work for congress say listen we know how it works and we're going to help you navigate these potentially meddlesome regulations and that so that's exactly the playbook they're following, and they're being successful at it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why they're able to avoid. I mean, there's a few members of Congress that are saying, listen, we need to increase these regulations, yeah. but it's not as much as you would think it's going to be. I mean, think about this. You got this currency is being used to fund terror, right? And uh, the people that want to do us harm. And they're also allowed to buy the US debt, or it's allowed to be used to buy the US debt. That seems problematic. Yeah, yeah, no, it's problematic. And, and let's talk about some specifics because this is uh, really, I think, where the government part comes into this. The first challenge you have is regulators. Regulators love power and sometimes they need to have power for legitimate reasons. But you have this dispute going on over crypto. So the Securities and Exchange Commission says we control regulating crypto because crypto is a security. We're the Securities and Exchange Commission. Not surprisingly, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission says, no, 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 crypto is a commodity. So they both want to regulate it. They both want control over it, really for a couple of reasons, right? One is they get more power, they get a bigger budget, they have more regulatory authority if they get crypto under their purview. But the second part, I hate to be cynical, is it creates job opportunities, the revolving door. For the revolving door to work, you have to have some place to go when you're leaving government. So you want to create the regulatory control in your institution because that's going to create more opportunities for you and your colleagues to go work for crypto companies and to cash in. And the numbers are pretty eye popping on the lobbying and and some of the people that are involved in the revolving door. Yeah, the money aspect in terms of how the money ends up in Washington, I think there's a kind of three main aspects to it. There's the lobbying and the lobbying's increased significantly. Crypto industry lobbying's up 120% over the last two years. And that's money that gets spent to get a message out, but that's not money that gets put in pockets of members of Congress specifically. So of the three, we might consider that to be the least effective. Right. Now, some of the money actually comes from members of Congress themselves because those guys are spending their, you know, millions of dollars to buying and selling uh, stocks that they're allowed to own in mm-hmm. crypto. You got 21 members of Congress or their immediate family members uh, that own stock in crypto. And this is my favorite stat of the podcast. Out of that group, out of the 21 members of Congress, seven members serve on committees of the Senator House that hold key regulators accountable. So uh, if you're wondering how come the regulation seems underdeveloped, right? Uh, one reason might be because many of the people own the thing. And so they're not necessarily in a position they're going to want to increase regulations that would hurt the monetary value of an asset they own. 
Right. Fair to say. And look, part of the attraction of crypto, let's be honest, is the fact that it can be secretive, that there's a lot of money that flows through crypto. A lot of nefarious people around the world, whether you're a drug kingpin, a terrorist organization, you're going to buy crypto because it's a way to hide your assets the way you can't hide them elsewhere. We should say that, you know, there have been a couple of members of Congress that have uh, written letters asking for greater regulation. Um, of crypto. So we, we need to give them a, certainly a shout out for doing so. But the bottom line is that there has been a lot of, um, let's say, setting aside restrictions on crypto. And I think part of the motivation is it's a money opportunity. Well, so the third way, right? There's lobbying, there's yep. what the asset class of the members of Congress own, and then there's the getting hired and then getting paid by oh, yeah. uh, the crypto industry. And you got 200 ex-government officials that now work for crypto firms and serve in different capacities. And you've got some high-level names, people, right? I mean, it's not, it's, some of them are just the middle of the road people, but you've got some people that have achieved things in Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah. A former head of the SEC. Uh, no is, big deal. It's <laughs> not, not only advising crypto companies, but is investing in crypto companies. And the way this often works, I'm not necessarily saying in his case, but oftentimes you will come in as an advisor and you will get paid a salary, but you'll also be given options, maybe ownership options or stock options if they're a publicly traded company. So there are multitudes of ways in which you can kind of cash in. And of course, family members could potentially get hired as well. Um, and a, a former a leader at the Commodities Futures Trading Commission has also joined the ranks of uh, working for crypto. So, I mean, this is like what we've seen at the Pentagon, right? Somebody is uh, responsible for acquisitions or, uh, you know, responsible for buying aircraft. They leave the Air Force the Pentagon, and they end up going to work for Boeing or for Raytheon or for another defense contractor. It's act. It's it's happening here at crypto. The problem is, of course, that in the case of crypto, uh, you've got all these nefarious actors around the world that want it to stay exactly the way that it is. Hamas wants to get its money. Uh, the drug cartels want to hide their money. North Korea wants to develop its nuclear program by running that money through crypto. It actually reminds me of the a recent thing where it was like, okay, wait, is this going to become a legal thing now? And you talk about the incentives that are in place for these former government officials to help them navigate their regulatory maze. John Boehner got hired by these marijuana firms <laughs> and he, it was, what was his potential bonus if he got marijuana? $20 million. If he got it legalized nationally. Yeah. If he got, if he got Congress to end the federal ban on marijuana, his, it was in his contract. He was going to get a $20 million payday for doing so. That's in addition to the lobbying fee that he was getting. Now, John Banner is more of a cigarettes and red wine guy, but, you know, <laughs> everybody's a $20 million guy. <laughs> I mean, no judgment. <laughs> That's right. I think didn't Banner on his book, didn't he have a, like a glass of wine with, he was holding a glass of wine. He's I think not shy about book. it. He should have just had a joint. I mean, that, that, that was, would have been more apropos to what his commercial future is but, all about. But to the point, and I think it's not cynical, it's just reality uh, yeah. about what, so there's a tug of war between the SEC and the commodity uh, future trading commission over who's going to get to regulate it. But this is, so this is my favorite. Cause like, and again, it's true. If you're in charge of regulating this industry, then it actually just means tons more opportunity for your employees down the line. So a proposal, <laughs> this elegant solution uh, is actually potentially going to be a joint effort so that uh -huh. both of them can, <laughs> can regulate a new committee will Jobs be formed. Jobs for everybody, A right? new committee will be formed that is regulated by both the SEC and right. CTFC or right. CFTC. So that's, that's I think, what's going to happen. Not because it's necessarily in the best interest of the American consumer or the American financial asset, but because more people will be able to get paid. Could you imagine if somebody that was a head of a government agency just once said, 
no, that's not our purview. We're going to give it to this department. I mean, that person, first of all, would probably be drummed out of their job immediately. Uh, but that never happens precisely for the reason we're talking about. This, this is the way you cash in as a government employee. If you want to leave the government, you have to create a demand for your services and your services come about with regulation, control and complexity. So you can bet if you've got the SEC and the Commodities Futures Trading Commission both regulating crypto, they're not going to be simple rules. They're not going to be uncomplicated. They're going to be complex, difficult to follow because the industry is then going to have to hire employees from those government agencies at high fees to interpret the laws for them. It's what we call the regulator becomes the navigator. And it's one of the least <laughs> successful Disney movies of all time. <laughs> they should make that a Disney movie, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so the question is, what do you think the future of crypto is? I mean, I know, you know, you and I are not really investment guys per se. I mean, we do invest, but we're not investment guys. But crypto has gone through, you know, you had, you know, Bitcoin, for example, went way, way up, mm -hmm. came crashing down. Now, some people are saying, I think you were, you mentioned that the Secret Service guy you talked to, it's kind of the winter time for crypto. People not sure what the future is. But it seems to me there's always going to be a market for it so long as Hamas, drug cartels, uh, countries like North Korea and other criminal organizations want to evade scrutiny. So there's a criminal trial happening in Tallahassee right now. And without getting into the details of it, one of the key pieces of evidence is this person's trying to pay someone for doing something illegally with hundred dollars of bills that he's stapled together. <laughs> like, so a thousand, old school. thousand at a time school. you staple it. Yeah. Right? So at that point is, it doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> no, right? no. Yeah. So how old is this guy? No, he's not that old. I oh, think really? it's just throwback criminals. So, <laughs> but, but the idea is that, uh, you know, it doesn't happen that way anymore. And plus that's limited, right? You, you can't, send stacks of hundred dollars of bills anywhere around the world with a click of the button. And if you're going to send $26 million in hundred dollar bills, I mean, you got to be carrying a couple of duffel bags. I mean, this is much more practical. So uh, to the extent that we will, there will always be a need to send money to nefarious and illegal places. Then it seems like there's going to be a need for cryptocurrency, but not just that. I think even as you saw some sort of anti-establishment societal forces emerge in 2020 and the idea of we want to return power to the people and away from centralized big business and big government. I think it's, it's an interesting confluence of incentives, right? And appeals. Uh, so I do think that there will continue to be some value there, but yeah, th there's always going to be this tension between giving to the people, but then having it regulated and overseen by the government. Yeah. I mean, look here for me, the bottom line is this, when it comes to crypto, People have a right to have access to crypto. It's an investment option that some people like. Uh, you have a right to a certain amount of anonymity and privacy, but but there needs to be transparency. I mean, in, in other words, the federal government, meaning regulators that are investigating criminal activity, terrorist organizations need to be able to have access to these crypto accounts if they're going to be offered in the United States. To me, that seems like a reasonable solution. Well, and to Tether's credit, Tether is you know, as a stable coin, it can actually the entirety of it can be seen in these wallets. And so that's how it's been able to be frozen and taken away from the entities that own it. So I think I'm sure that's part of Tether's argument. But this fact remains that it's still being used to do weird stuff. But yeah, uh, we'll see what happens with Sam Bankman fried We'll see what happens with Tether and the crypto industry at large. But I think as, if we've, I've learned one thing from working here for the last decade is that whatever the solution is, people will find a way to make money off of it. Absolutely, they will. 
Well, we appreciate you joining us as always. Uh, this, I think, is an important topic. We're going to continue to monitor it as we do with so many other subjects. We appreciate you making the time. You can find our research and our information at thedrilldown.com, and you can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are located. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time. Thank you.